I'm Martine Halverson-Taylor. I'm Curtis Schaefer. And this is Sacred and Profane, a show about how religions shape us and how we shape religions. This week, we're returning to our ongoing series, Field Notes, featuring documentaries from students here at the University of Virginia. Last year, Remen Donovan began reporting on a story that's huge news in France. Like the U.S., France is seeing protesters take to the streets in reaction to decades of pervasive structural racism, Islamophobia, and police brutality. Our story starts in Belleville, a diverse neighborhood in Paris where police stops, known as control d'identité, are an everyday fact of life for people of color. We'll let Bremen take it from here. It's about five o'clock in the evening on June 21st, the Fête de la Musique. It's an annual tradition. All across Paris, musicians fill streets and parks and bars to play, and whole neighborhoods come out to celebrate the summer solstice. Mothers are selling snacks, and a DJ setting up for a dance party that will happen later on the central place. We don't make any barriers around skin color or religion. We've learned to live together, to be in community with each other. That's what makes our neighborhood so strong, I think. My name is Skander, I'm 25 years old. I live in Belleville, in a great neighborhood where there's an enormous amount of diversity. It's festive, but people are also on edge. They're worried about the police. For Skander, police harassment started when he was a young teenager. Est-ce que tu peux me raconter l'histoire de la première fois tu te souviens? On était des jeunes, on était le soir dans la rue et we were young. We were hanging out on the street in the evening. We were a bunch of Arabs, a bunch of blacks, and so all the police patrol past. They stopped us. They put us up against the wall. They asked us if we had anything dangerous on us. They started to touch us, make sure we didn't have stuff. They touched us in our private parts to make sure we didn't have anything hidden in our butts. And for young boys, that can be really shocking. Things are getting worse with gentrification. Newer, mostly white residents are asking why kids are always hanging around outside. These same newcomers keep calling the police to complain. Skander himself has been stopped more times than he can count. He's Muslim, and as time goes on, he feels like the police are targeting him because of his religion. For example, once they stuck me with a fine for drinking in public. I don't drink alcohol. I'm abstinent. It's been years and years since I've had a drop of alcohol. They find me for drinking alcohol. It's beyond racism. I think that in France, it's something against Islam. These are police officers who know him and know his friends. But they keep stopping him for identity checks anyway. 
They don't have anything to blame me for. So they stop me. Since they don't know how to get me or how to make problems for me, they haven't found a better way than sticking me with all these fines. They hit me in my wallet, right where it hurts. These stops are getting expensive. He's been slapped with so many fines in the past year, he doesn't have a chance of paying them. I have a big family, have lots of little brothers, have my parents at home with me. A guy who makes 12 or 1,300 euros a month can't pay 3 or 400 euros a month in court fines. It's impossible. In addition to the financial burden and the hassle of having to take time off work to show up in court, these frequent stops can be invasive. I find it humiliating to be touched, that there are people who touch us often, even worse, our private parts, our butts, and things that are hard to accept. That's how it is. They make us understand that we have to deal with it as if it were normal and just a regular part of life. The difference between me and the people younger than me is that I haven't integrated, and I will never integrate the police identity check as something normal. This is Omer. He's a social worker and a community organizer working to try and make relationships better between young people, their families, and the police. The fact that I'm also Caribbean, and because I've been subjected to these same stops, but also the fact that I'm a social worker and that I work with these kids, I've developed a consciousness because of my experience of the impact it can have on young people. Omer's dealt with his own share of police profiling. What he finds most upsetting nowadays is how much young people seem to have resigned themselves to illegal stops. The police don't even have to ask them to spread their legs apart. They just do it naturally, which isn't normal, because the law does not provide for police stops to be like that, easy and constant. Police officers enter into a sort of relationship of dominant to dominated to show that they're the ones who have all the power. And touching people's genitals, that's one of them. And that's why sociologists call it the ceremony of degradation, and it's true. These are ceremonies of degradation because you feel, feel like a piece of shit, basically. This kind of discrimination is a sort of third rail in French politics. It's as if somehow acknowledging what's going on amounts to a betrayal of the ideals France holds so dear. The ideals literally carved into stone on public buildings across the country. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. The problem culturel des Français, c'est que the cultural problem of the French is that since the French Revolution, we've lived in adoration of a principle that is wonderful. It's the principle of equality, but it's lived like a formal principle. I declare that we are equal. This is Slim Benachor. He's a lawyer in Paris. We're talking about 10 to 14 million identity checks done every year, and all of that on a really limited population because the vast majority of the French population has never stopped. 
on s'aperçoit que ces 14 millions de police stops sont concentrés sur a limited number of people who we can identify as youth perceived as coming from working-class neighborhoods, and working-class neighborhoods is a euphemism for talking about youth perceived as having North or Sub-Saharan African origins. A 2009 study conducted by researchers at France's National Center for Scientific Research concluded that black people in Paris are six times more likely to be stopped by police than whites. And Arabs, 7.8 times more likely. It's related to what Slim calls the French cultural problem, the idea that the French state is colorblind. Les minorités n'existent pas en droit français. Minorities don't exist in French law. It's a concept, a notion that doesn't make any sense. On a des institutions qui se vivent. We have institutions that consider themselves innocent. In terms of discrimination, it's just not possible. Because officially, racial discrimination doesn't exist. Republican principles mean that there is only one people, the French people, who all go to the same school, and it's not acceptable that some among us experience ourselves as minorities and discriminated against. The disconnect is related to histories that lots of people don't like to talk about. Encore une fois, c'est un contrôle d'identité. On contrôle. One more time, it's an identity check. It's your nationality being checked. And if you're interested in the history of the French identity card, mais il y a deux dates qui marquent. There are dates that stand out. It's 1940 and 41. In other words, it's Vichy. Pictures from France. The Vichy cabinet in session to consider the German demand for collaboration, to which they agreed. That's when the French government collaborated with the Nazis during World War II. The horrors of that period inspired the principles of non-discrimination that France holds so dear. Their prohibition against collecting sensitive data about race, religion, and ethnicity is in response to a time when Jews in France were marked with stars and sent to die in concentration camps. Identity checks were also a form of control exerted in the French colonies and the practice continued for certain populations living in the French metropole. Et ensuite, 55, right before the beginning of the Algerian War, and the necessity to put in place a national identity card to control French Muslims who would come to mainland France. In other words, there was a need to identify those whose nationality we needed to check. And these were the fathers and the grandfathers of the kids that are being stopped for ID checks today. Despite the government's history of targeting particular populations for identity checks, there's still a widespread idea that discrimination isn't structural, it's personal. You have a hard time getting people to understand the problem of structural discrimination because, well, that's not the French conception. The French conception is, it's flat, it's formal equality. It's a perspective on French society that I have decided to fight. The front lines of Slim's fight are French courtrooms. In 2016, in collaboration with community organizations, young people, and local activists, including Omer, Slim and another lawyer decided to sue the French state for its widespread practice of discriminatory police stops. They weren't just trying to get a couple bad cops. They wanted to strike at the heart of racial profiling. 
They had to figure out how to prosecute a case against structural discrimination in a country where structural discrimination supposedly doesn't exist. They wanted to bring a class action suit, but that's not really an option in French law. So they were going to have to get creative. In addition to the challenge of getting a judge to recognize a pattern of discrimination, they had to deal with a standard of proof that was potentially very high. When you're risking a prison sentence, well, you're obligated in French law to provide complete evidence. So the problem for us was, on the one hand, to prove that the identity check took place, and then to prove in front of the judge that it was discriminatory. In this case, that was going to be extremely difficult. The particularity in France is that there is absolutely no proof of police identity checks, to the point where police officers can deny having conducted an identity check. They had no official record to turn to. How do I say this? You can't contradict a police opinion. What I mean is, if a police officer says, it happened that way, then the judge, the prosecutor, they'll say it happened that way. The police represent France, so when it comes to the justice system, they are more interested in defending the police than defending the people. We had a real problem, which is that the police, like many social actors, had integrated the taboo around the prohibition of racial discrimination. What Slim means is that officers aren't going to use racist language during the stop. When racism is there, it's often more subtle, more difficult to prove. As he was reflecting on possible legal strategies, Slim started to make a connection between a boss sexually harassing his employee and a police officer stopping a kid because of his skin color. I did criminal work when I was a young lawyer, and I specialized in labor law. And I think that unconsciously, the asymmetrical relationship between the employer and employee really made an impression on me. That's, I think, something that I projected onto the relation between the police and the rest of the population. Just like a boss would be sure not to leave proof that he was sexually harassing his employee, the French government wasn't requiring any official record of police stops. Le comportement discriminatoire prospère dans l'opacité. Discriminatory behavior thrives on opacity. And that's why you have an official adjustment of the burden of proof. France is part of Europe, and European law recognizes that discrimination exists and is often very difficult to prove. What this means is that in certain discrimination cases, the burden of proof can be shifted away from the accuser and onto the accused. In this case, that would place the burden on the French state to justify the reasons for its disproportionate police stops. Slim's team jumped at this provision and began building a civil case. Police officers in France don't even have to give a receipt saying when they stopped you and why. This is a simple measure people have advocated for years to no avail. But since the judge officially shifted the burden of proof, the absence of such a record could become a central point in their case. Is it natural or normal that a state, by its police, never justifies identity checks? The law says that if someone accused of discrimination doesn't cooperate by providing justification, well then that fact itself suggests that discrimination might be going on. A state with a rule of law cannot not justify such a stop, especially when it's a massive practice that always affects the same people. There was more work to do to convince the judge of a structural problem. 
They turn toward social scientific studies showing how disproportionately non-white people are stopped by police in France. They reminded the court that during his campaign, former President François Hollande had stood before the UN in Geneva and acknowledged France's problem with racial profiling, vowing to address it. This candidate, he didn't deliver on his promise. Nevertheless, in front of officials of the United Nations, in front of the international community, he recognized the problem of racial profiling and the commitment to resolve it. Despite Hollande's failure to follow through, his official acknowledgement before the UN supported Slim's case that there really was an institutional problem. Finally, their last move. It's an element we didn't think of immediately, because it's so obvious. It's as obvious as air to a civil lawyer. It's the individual element, the personal element that will eventually condemn the state. It's the attestation. Since the police don't wish to, and the state doesn't wish to justify their stops, in this case you have citizens who are presumed to be acting in good faith, making attestations. If the police wouldn't document their stops, then regular people would, and they would bring their receipts to the judge. The attestation had three objectives. First, to establish the police stop. Second, to document any illegal behavior by the police officers involved. And third, to demonstrate by comparison that police are targeting certain people and not others. Les personnes ne font rien du tout. People aren't doing anything at all. They're walking in the street, they're chatting, and they get stopped. For example, you're in a place where people are doing their shopping and it's only the black person or the Arab person who gets stopped. Slim's talking about something that happens all the time and also about a specific incident where three young French citizens, all of them black, were stopped by police for no apparent reason while doing their Christmas shopping at La Défense. The first trial took place at the district court in Paris. First, the state said in front of the high court in Paris that there wasn't discrimination because the right to non-discrimination and the principles of equality didn't apply to police identity checks. The state argued that the right to non-discrimination simply did not apply to police stops. This argument did not go over well. From a political standpoint, and from a legal standpoint, of course, it was an enormous error, uh, because the rules of non-discrimination were created after the Second World War, after the Holocaust, and to say that the police don't have to respect the principles of equality and non-discrimination, it just wasn't possible. And so this argument, the state's argument, failed in front of the Paris Court of Appeal because that jurisdiction recognized that the principles of equality and non-discrimination applied equally to the police. Slim and his team got the judgment they wanted in the first trial. Then the government appealed. So the case went up to the Court of Cassation, the highest court of appeal in France. And there, the French state will repeat this horrible idea by saying it makes sense that three black French youth were stopped at La Défense because there could have been suspicion of non-nationality and of illegal presence on French territory. Basically, the state argued that it had the right to stop these young men because they don't look French. 
Slim says this argument reflects a nasty reality about the way a lot of people in France understand what it means to be French. You have the justification for the police stopping these three black French youth because they could have been foreigners, which says a lot about the concept that certain people have of what it means to be French and of French nationality. And it was unacceptable. And the Court of Cassation confirmed the decision of the Paris Court of Appeal by upholding racial discrimination. It's important to have judicial decisions that formally acknowledge the reality of racial discrimination in French policing. The acknowledgement is symbolic and could also pave the way for some systemic ways to address the problem of proof. Another significant outcome is the emergence of more cases like this one. While the class action suit was underway, a group of 18 young people in the 12th arrondissement of Paris filed a formal complaint against police officers in their neighborhood. The kids from the neighborhood were subjected to violence by a particular brigade from the local police station. Again, the alleged abuse was taking place in a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood close to the center of Paris. And again, the young people concerned are working class and mostly not white. The harassment started with an ID check. Un contrôle d'identité. An ID check that wasn't aimed at checking identity, because the police know these kids' first names, last names, and addresses. So it's at best a pathetic and pathological way of saying hello. After lots of effort and advocacy, a formal investigation is finally launched. And in February of 2018, four of the accused police officers are put on trial. At the Palais de Justice, one side of the courtroom is filled with family members and people from the neighborhood there to support the kids. The other side is filled with police officers. Slim's team presents various evidence of the alleged abuse, including medical certificates and photographs. But for him, the most remarkable part of the trial comes a bit later. The hearing revealed something that, well, three-quarters of us didn't know, which is the existence in the categorization of police identity checks. There you had a column for undesirables. Yes, really, the notion of undesirable is there. In a country where the use of sensitive data about race, ethnicity, and religion is illegal, the testimony revealed that the police had been using undesirables as an alternative category. All of this, in my opinion, contributes to the idea that these kids, they are not at home. They are not entirely French. And the question that comes up is, are the undesirables of today not the descendants of those perceived as children and grandchildren of immigrants from the former colonies? There's a suspicion that is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It contributes even more strongly to the rise of racism. The accused officers are all part of a brigade that calls themselves the Tigers, after the menacing insignia on their uniform. Since the accusations against them were so severe, a judge ordered the on-duty officers of the Tigers Brigade to wear body cameras for the duration of the trial. Three months after being ordered to wear a camera, we're going to see that the camera changes absolutely nothing about their behavior. That's three months after filing the complaint. 
Moi, je me contrôle. Parce que vous étiez dans la hall. Vous avez pris la fuite en nous voyant. Il n'y a plus de casquette. la fuite, moi, je marche, moi, je Et on entend les policiers dire à And we hear the police say to the kids. Yeah, but in any case, you think anyone's going to trust you more, give you more credit for what you, you're saying than somebody else? Basically, you're a little delinquent from the hood. You're a little kid from the hood. You're worthless. You represent nothing for society, okay? And the question that came up for many of us was, are the police, excuse the expression, but are they stupid? They know they're the subject of a criminal complaint, and they're recording themselves, audio and video, in the process of breaking the law, specifically identity checks with no legal basis at all. These body cam videos were leaked to the press so that the whole country could see what was happening. The fact that the videos come out and let people see what police identity checks are, it changes a lot. Because these identity checks, once again, are being conducted by the famous brigade, they are in the sights of the criminal justice system. And despite that, they can't help themselves. They can't stop themselves from committing inequality and discrimination. There are lots and lots of people, really good people, who came up to us saying, but we didn't know. Winning in the courts is important, but it's an approach that takes time. People are angry, and that worries Omer, who's dealing with these things on a local level, trying to have productive meetings with police, with young people, with their families. The little guy we ran into earlier, he says to me, I hate. He drops the word. It's not just a concept, something he's conceptualizing. He drops the word. He says to me, I hate cops. What's important is for us to continue fighting. What's going to be important is for our politicians to finally listen to us and for all of us to sit down at the table and for them to understand that everybody wins if an entire segment of the population can grow up with parameters other than hate and anger. Because an angry kid who doesn't express himself, we don't know how that's going to come out. Omer wants to keep fighting, but he knows there's also a lot of resignation. Skander, for one, is fed up. He's being crushed with debt. He isn't seeing the changes come quickly enough. From his point of view, it's hard to be patient when you're constantly being harassed. People have been talking to us for so many years about changing things. Talking and talking about changing things. We're not motivated anymore. We just do what it takes for the stop to take as little time as possible so that the police leave as quickly as possible. We don't want to talk to them anymore. We don't want to cooperate with them anymore. It means they come, they do what they have to do, they leave. We, over the years, we've seen that nothing's changed. So we don't want to make an effort anymore. We don't want to help people with whatever it is anymore. We just deal with it. Because we know that our opinion is worthless in this country. There's nothing we can do in any case. It's always the police who win. C'est toujours la police qui gagne.
Sacred and Profane was produced for the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. Our senior producer is Emily Gaddick. Our program manager is Ashley Duffalo. Kelly Jones is the lab's editor. Today's story was reported by Bremen Donovan. Very special thanks to Skander, Issa Koulibaly, Omer Masque-Pitolin, and Slim Benachour. And to Clinton Johnston, Lewis Hampton, Riel Paley, and James Johnson, who read their words. Thanks also to Jean Beeman, Magda Boutros, Stéphanie Barrier, Martine Granby, Léonard Boniface, and Alison Levine. Music for this episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions. You can find out more about our work at religionlab.virginia.edu or by following us on Twitter at The Religion Lab. If you like the show, head over to iTunes or the platform of your choice to rate and review us. It really makes a difference for new shows like ours.